Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hi guys, this is Ahmed here from Vital Educators. Um, I've got a really special guest here today um, who I've specially asked to do this very first podcast of mine. Um, I, let me tell you a bit more about what we are trying to do here. Um, my main goal with this podcast is to reach out to all the young people uh, around 13 to about 2021 who are kind of lost, have no idea what they're trying to do. They're kind of in doing A-levels and they're trying to right now working at university and uh, they don't know where their life's going and they're not very sure. So my whole passion here, my whole idea here is to bring somebody on who has gone through these hurdles themselves and kind of share their personal journey with us. And uh, my main goal here is to uncover as much as I can. So I've invited for my very first podcast, my one of my closest friends, I'd say my best friend, because I don't have a brother, I'll probably call him my brother as well, uh, Mr. Zada. <laughs> Cheers, thanks. Um, yeah, so Zada here is uh, currently working as an optometrist, uh, but he's also studying um, uh, medicine, to be honest with you. And he always wanted to be, be a doctor. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave it to him. I'm going to ask him a couple of questions about his career choice and why he is here today with us. And hopefully you can gain some insight into why he did what he did to get to where he is today. All right. So welcome to the podcast, Zada. Nice to see you today. Excellent. We don't normally speak that formally, by the way. Indeed, indeed. Um, it was a trouble setting this thing up as well for the very first time. So I guess uh, this is, um, uh, um, this. hopefully this works out. All right, so the first thing I'm going to do, because obviously we're trying to focus on career here, mm. specifically your career. Yeah. I just wanted to, I just wanted for our viewers to understand where have you come from? What's your background? Tell us anything, everything, mm. a bit about yourself. So do you want me to, to start with like, who my parents are, my family are. Yeah, well, what's your background? Who you are as a person, essentially. If you were to, if you were to introduce That's someone, a really broad question. To start I know, with. <laughs> I know, but I, let's let's start with something bigger and then kind of hone in as to what you say. Who am I as a person? I, I'd say I'm deeply philosophical as a person. Like my primary motivation is intention. Um, so whatever I do in life, I think what is the outcome of my action? Is it something that I want? And secondarily, what is the benefit to me? So I think that's, if you want to summarize me in a, in a, in a sentence, I'm a consequentialist, meaning I, I, I care about consequence of my actions. Um, and I've always been that way, even as a child. Uh, so which is quite unusual, really. Okay, so how does your consequential attitude relate to the choices that you've made in mm. life 
in especially in your career yeah so as you probably know I'm a medical student as well no you probably know we've had <laughs> like hours of discussion yeah. on this so <laughs> yeah so we talk about anyway i'm a medical student as well as an optician um and i always wanted to be a doctor and thankfully i'm on the track as long as i don't fail anything to be a doctor um and the reason i did that is because i thought what can i do for the rest of my life which i think will help people and so there's loads of ways of helping people you can help people by feeding them uh, after work and you can do homeless shelters and that doesn't cost you a penny doesn't cost you university fees nothing like that but i wanted to do something a bit i'll be honest with you something a bit heroic so i thought okay what's the most extreme version of help you can do and in my opinion that's saving someone's life i think most people would agree that if it had opportunity to save save someone's life they'd consider that quite like philanthropic <laughs> quite 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 um um rewarding for the receiver um so that naturally leads you to healthcare and within healthcare the probably the most challenging not intellectually challenging but but challenging to get into career wise and step up stepping up the ladder things of that nature so the the most established career for helping people is medicine is to be a doctor um and you're the head of the healthcare team and uh, you have all the other perks like money and prestige and respect and whatever else and your father's approval <laughs> whatever else um but that's that's not what's it was important the most important thing is that you you're the the team leader for helping save people's lives and i thought that goes in line with my philosophy um but i had a i actually had a big uh realization when i was younger that actually i'd be helping people on a one to one basis so maybe i'd help 5 10 people a day and that's fine but the most useful thing i could have actually done is something uh, more humanitarian such as being a scientist and so the person who invented um, insulin uh, to be made from bacteria or however however it's made these days they're saving many more lives than I could ever dream of in my career and they're not necessarily doctors i think they were actually doctors uh, best and whatever the guy's name is but let's see let's say Ian Fleming is the not Ian Fleming Alexander Fleming he was a uh, the antibiotic oh, guy the antibi- yeah, yeah so yeah. It's, it's someone best i think his name was who uh, made he got anyway it's not important the story is not important but the point is that he didn't necessarily have to be a doctor he could have been a raw scientist and these days there would be scientists who would be working on creating new drugs and things like that and i thought if i excuse me if i really wanted to save people's lives that's what i should do but then you have to match your philosophies with the actual your innate nature and in my nature i'm not the kind of person who'd be satisfied sitting in a laboratory all day finding formulas and you know working and repeat 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 until i finally get a breakthrough i i can see myself burning out doing that and this is 16 year old me having a conversation with myself so i thought okay fine i'll i'll do medicine because it it's it, it it kind of alleviates that itch that i had for the direct patient i want to get my hands dirty i remember saying that to myself i want to get my hands bloody and dirty fixing these aortas and fixing these people's you know di- direct diseases so that i could save their life rather than being away from them uh and you know helping them in an indirect way but in a very useful way which is what scientists do so i had that decision that i made and i mean it, i don't think anyone could say that doctors are not useful you know because i think it's quite obvious that we are not not say we are i'm not there yet but doctors are useful okay. okay so if you were so think back to when you were 15 now not 16 
and uh, yeah yeah you could say that yeah. and uh, you're you're not 100% sure as to where your life's going yeah. would you agree that your parents had some i don't know this is me mm. trying to because of the background that you come from and yeah. the as, as long as i've obviously known you as well mm. do you think that's because of your parents that they had directed you towards this sort of they've introduced question? you to to the idea of becoming yeah. a doctor and then you had philosophies yeah. you had your own ethics and you kind of mashed the two up to decide that that's the path you want to chase yeah. to boil down you're trying to ask me do you think my parents influenced me yeah essentially yeah, yeah 100% but am i consciously aware of it happening no not really so i remember when i was about 9 years old 10 years old um and that's the same ironically the same time I wanted to be start being a doctor my parents took all of us to Birmingham University's medical school <laughs> and we went to a library and it's the first time I've seen Chinese people wearing the masks because it was a SARS outbreak so it must have been about 2009 um SARS outbreak was I think 2006 oh whenever that was because yeah, I think it was around then yeah. whenever it was, so I was really young okay. and they and they took me to Birmingham University they took all of us me my brother and my sister I was the youngest uh to Bem University and we saw all the medical students typing away at their computers and they're probably doing nothing serious but it looked like they're doing serious stuff and i was in awe like wow these people come from across the world to come to my city to this beautiful building to study medicine it must be really important as so i remember all these people are chinese in your no no and they're not all chinese yeah. there's a few and they're all wearing masks <laughs> like probably two of them were masks in the whole library but the point is I was like what the f- what is that guy wearing a mask you know what I mean and I remember oh yeah bird flu but anyway <laughs> um, but the point is uh, there was a multitude of colours and this is it's really I'm not just making this up this really stood out to me like there's so many different people here that what they're here for they're here for medicine medicine to be a doctor that must be really important then maybe like if everyone comes across the world to study this stuff then clearly it matters and then i must have i don't remember having a particular conversation with my parents that day but i must have maybe brought it up and asked what doctors do and blah 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 and then uh, i remember going to speak to my mates in the playground in year 5 and i was like oh yeah i want to be a doctor by the way and uh, i was like what do you guys want to be and no one had an answer but i was convinced i want to be a doctor and that to be fair like the year before i wanted to be a fireman or something so <laughs> so you know what i mean so but that was the last career that i wanted to be and it hasn't changed since then and being an optician and we can get into that later but even as an optician I still wanted to be a doctor that, that was going to be my next question actually so why is it what propelled you to take up a degree i mean how, at what point did you know um that you were that you want to be an optician is an optimist optician or optometrist uh, i mean what's the I difference sure. self to be honest they're still dispensing opticians but i think the the correct way to say it is optometrist okay. but i don't think anyone cares but um, this is after your a levels so you decided to do optometry instead that's, that's i i'd say that's wrong actually i didn't decide to do optometry i just didn't get into medicine okay um and my brother was and still is an optician and so i asked him and i thought about it like this is one thing i'm blessed with thankfully and i'm not bragging but i think i've had i've always had a really logical mind even when i was younger it's it's, it's fairly unusual for like a 14 and 15 year old to think extremely logically but Uh, thankfully I did. So when I was a bit older so when I was at 16 is that how old you are A levels. Um I didn't get in. Fine. Well it wasn't fine. <laughs> It's was pretty dramatic. But anyway, I didn't get in. It's like okay. What do I do now? And so I had to like I I actually I think I made the wrong decision in hindsight 
for for the mathematical reason. But anyway, so I said, okay, fine. This year, so it's 2012, I have uh, £3,000 tuition fees and I didn't get into medicine. That's a fact. Okay. Next year, 2013, whatever year it would have been, um, it'll be £9,000 tuition fees and I might still might not get into medicine. So I'm potentially delaying myself by another application process. Um, it's a gamble. Nothing's changed in my life over that, that year. Nothing would have changed rather in my life over that year. So why not try to apply for optometry, which is what my brother did. My brother does, and he knows, he, I know it's quite lucrative, you get a lot of money out of it. Um, and then use that experience as an optician as a stepping stone and say, look to the medical people that I've, I've practiced and I've seen people's eyes and I learned about the body through optometry and that you're more likely to be successful that way. And I heard, I remember you saying and Abdullah saying and a few of my friends saying that uh, biochemistry, biochemistry is the way forward. I thought surely optometry would be better because you have uh, patient interaction and you have that experience. And I mean, it was that was a gamble as well. But I thought it's a lesser gamble simply because the fallback is a beautiful career in optometry. And the way my brother described it, it seemed like a really st- stable, straightforward career. And so I took that gamble and said, like, no one knows what the outcomes are going to be in life. Like, there's no guarantees with either decision. But in my 16, 17-year-old head, that was a lesser sacrifice or the easier route. So I took, uh, I did optometry instead. And I paid, it cost me, I think, 10 grand for the whole degree. That is a very, very wise decision at the age that you were. I don't think any one of us, I'm, I'm including any, anybody who didn't get into medicine, such as myself and Abdullah, as you mentioned, and some of the other guys, uh, would have taught the way you did. Um, I would also attribute that to your brother because he had a, he had sort of had a, um, an eye into the career, so he could lead you on to to something that is lucrative and that could pay off in the end anyway. Um, but at that time, did I would have thought that. That's three years yeah. minus 10 grand, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, why not waste one year yeah. and then take nine grand? Because right now you're paying nine grand anyway. So... I'm not. Okay, explain yeah, that to me. Explain that to... That's a, I think it's probably better to talk talk about that separately because I could talk about finances and medicine later. It's quite a long topic. Okay, we can yeah. have that chat. Yeah. Sure. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I remember I was a bit more religious back then. And I think interest was a really big issue as well. I wanted to minimize how much money I was going to rent, no, not rent, uh, borrow. And uh, this whole thing about interest and blah, 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 blah. I remember my dad trying to talk me out of it. He was like, just apply again. Don't worry about optometry. Just apply for medicine again. And don't worry about the interest, blah, blah, blah. And he essentially lied to me and he said that there's no interest on these loans. But there is interest on the loans. Um, and so I thought it's less of two evils. Let's hope he's not hearing this podcast. <laughs> it's less of two evils religiously um, to... Uh, borrow the 10,000 for optometry than the 40,000 or whatever it would have been for it actually would have been 45,000 for medicine plus potential accommodation so that was my thinking as well I think I've kind of changed philosophically now so I don't care is the honest truth but um, at the time I did so that was again a big motivating factor for me at the time see See, that's what I'm saying so if that's if I had a chance uh, to go back to 
A levels, for example, and if I if somebody was to offer me this opportunity again, I would take the optometry as a degree over biochemistry. Yeah, I would. Oh, oh, oh. Only because you yourself, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, but you made. What I'm saying is that you made that decision mm. based off of what your brother had told you, mm. based off of, like you said, your logical mind mm. dictated the idea that this makes more sense mm. to you. I'm saying that I had nobody on my back sort of guiding me through to all of this i'm not using that as an excuse by the way i'm just saying I, I, i'm just saying if somebody is in that predicament and we know this mm. it's an actual fact mm. a lot of a lot more people mm. get rejected for medicine uh, and dentistry mm. than they do okay, exactly. yeah no, so so my question is from their perspective as to what do they do with their lives continuing should they take a gap year and apply again or should they i don't think i'm in the best position to answer that i, I think you that. are if, think if anything you are the very best position to answer i can answer that as a 2012 applicant i can't answer that as a 2019 i guess i did apply like this last year because i'm planning to grow, so what i did like, just to give you a quick summary of my life um i did optometry did that for five years now i did a three-year degree one year training uh, like apprenticeship on the job and then i've been practicing for five years since then and then uh while i was practicing i applied again to medicine a few years into it which was actually a year and a half ago now and i got in as in the graduate entry course and medicine traditionally if you're 18 and you're listening to this medicine is a five or six year course however um the graduate entry so if you've done a degree previously it's a four-year course yeah, in most places and so i i was fortunate enough to get into the four year course at warwick um so it's completely different because you have to it's a prerequisite it's a it's a demand that you have a previous degree uh and so they counted that in whereas in the undergraduate with the five year course or the six year course they wouldn't expect you to have a previous degree so if i was 18 again um if if you're listening like i said if you listen to this and you're 18 or 17 however old a level student is these days and um you're thinking okay i might not get into medicine what's my plan b because you don't have that 9000 pound difference so before for me it was 3000 pound a year and then it, the year after it jumped to 9000 pound but for you guys it's going to be 9000 pound regardless of what year you're applying then you don't have the financial difference it doesn't make a difference to you financially so it depends on in a in a summary, in one word it would be experience if you're going to apply again and not having achieved anything in the year then you're probably going to get rejected again for whatever reason you got rejected the first time but if and, and that's probably is a key word because no one knows for sure my my cousin worked as a, a carer which isn't like phd or anything you know he just was it said just but he was a carer in his he, gap year in his gap year and okay. in, in, in his re 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 reattempt at applying and they used that and it really helped and he got in uh so maybe something like that something that shows initiative something that shows that you care the flip side of that is you could do all that and you could still get rejected and where does that leave you when it doesn't leave you at a disadvantage really you, you haven't wasted a year of your life you've gained experience genuinely in the workforce of adulthood you've learned you've earned maybe 10 grand over the year and uh you've probably got a few contacts and you've had time to think about things i mean if you're 18 your life's not exactly over like the average life expectancy is about 83 isn't it or <laughs> something yeah. yeah some something like that so you've got 60 years to think about life so there's there's no rush the, the one year is not going to make a difference uh an extra bit of cash is definitely going to help you 
Um, so that's what most people do. That's what most people recommend you do. To do a whole degree is... is a lot of... In fact, everyone in my course, halfway through the previous degree, were intending to apply for medicine. It's a really long-winded way of doing it. I wouldn't do it purely for that sake. Simply uh, with the with the condition that you don't just do any sh- any old degree like biochemistry or bio uh, bio uh, biological sciences, because those degrees are not great for careers. Like careers in medicine, that is. No, 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 no. I'm on about financially. They're not great, and then they don't have a good lifestyle. Wait, wait, wait. So I did a biochemistry degree, and you know what I was working as? I was working for a pharmaceutical company. Mm. I had a car, a uh, company car, that is. Oh yeah, I did a master's, which was one year. So four years out. Four years out of, and then I was on thirty-eight k. But is your job the? Is it easy to get into with a with your degree? Depends where you start. Well, no, with my, I won't. Uh, comparatively to other degrees, yes. But I think a, a doctor was if was supposed to apply, for example, mm-hmm. he would be able to. He'll be on on par with me. No, but my really. my point is like, say you had a class of two hundred students in your. Your classmates are uni yeah, yeah, in yeah. your bio biochem yeah. was in bio, biochemistry. Biochemistry. Bio. So, of your two hundred biochemistry classmates, mm-hmm. the ones who pursued a, a job in biochemistry, not mm-hmm. just did something completely different like teaching, mm-hmm. how many of them had similar quality jobs? They chose to do PhDs afterwards because the master was supposed to lead them on to PhDs, and everybody pretty much got to in. To what end, though? The why did they want to do a PhD? Because masters prepared them to to work in a lab when they do their PhDs, it prepared me as well. They but wanted they wanted to work in a lab, whereas I think I was the only one who didn't want to work in a lab. Okay. That's why I ended up actually working for a pharmaceutical company. But you're better suited to ask, answer the questions of like, because I think a lot of people again would. But if you were to, if you factually speaking, if you want to, if you want to talk about pure money, right? I would take your job in a heartbeat as an optometrist because um, I, I, I was going to lead this on to my actual questions as well, but my, I think we're at the right moment in time to speak about this. So Zada, as an optometrist, how much are you earning? How does the whole pay structure work? Because a lot of people who will apply to these courses, right? Not knowing what's yeah. going to what's gonna be at the end of it. So somebody like you can give us a much better insight than anybody who's worked in the, in, in, in the game for like 20 odd years and is somebody's dad and they don't want to listen to their dad you know what I mean they're all somebody like you so I think you will provide a valuable insight so Zada how much you actually earn so I earn uh, as a self-employed optometrist like a, like if you think of a teacher a supply teacher I'm a supply optician and I earn about £80,000 a year okay and I've been earning that pretty much immediately after I left university so I did bought one year apprenticeship and then after that I was pretty much on 80000 and I've been on that since it's gone up a little bit because I've been negotiating a bit better. So let's say I started on sixty-five and went up to about eighty thousand. Um, so yeah, it's great. So let me repeat this for anybody who's listening: Zada was twenty-one to twenty-two years old when he left university. He went to University of Aston to do his degree, and he pretty much started with sixty-five to seventy k a year as a self-employed optometrist. Let me, let me yeah, please. An exception to the rule. It's not the rule because most people in life they don't put themselves out of their comfort zone and so I did I, I pushed myself and most opticians are not self-employed opticians and they're not the, the, the technical term in healthcare for like a supply teacher uh, is a locum so the word locum means a supply healthcare practitioner and so I'm most optometrists work in their local 
like if you're from Birmingham, you work in Birmingham, you look for a job in Birmingham and you stick to Birmingham. If you're from Manchester, you do the same for Manchester. You don't go outside of Manchester. That's what gonna, I was going to ask you. So if you were to work and as on a permanent basis and as an optometrist, this is going to be fun. Uh, what would you be earning? Uh, around Birmingham, probably around the £35,000 mark. And is there a chance of it increasing ever or? Yeah, uh, uh, so people who live in their locality and, and to go the traditional route, what they normally do is they start... They do their apprenticeship locally. That's what everyone hopes to do, but it's quite competitive. Um, and then say, so I'm from Birmingham, so ideally I would have done my apprenticeship after my degree. It's called a pre-reg year. So you do three-year bachelors of optometry. Then you have to do an apprenticeship, which is called a pre-reg, in anywhere in the country. There's one-year course, and you have to do exams for that as well, just to prove that you can take the textbook, take the textbook into reality. That's the whole purpose of that, uh, that year, and it's actually a really useful year. Uh, and then after that, so during that year, you're earning minimum wage. You're an apprentice, essentially. And then after that, ideally, I should have, in, according to the books, I should have stayed in Birmingham and applied, and I would have started at about 33000 and maybe every year got £1,000 extra. So, so for example, are you saying that if uh, you worked in that same place for 20 years, would you, in 20 oh, years, be earning twenty? 20- Okay, so it's yeah. at some years, it yeah. Okay, so it it has it does plateau basically. Yeah. That's what we. And so, what most optometrists who do that traditional route they strive for is to to own a shop, and then take the profits from the shop for themselves. And it's called a director. So you basically, uh, for Specsavers, for example, you tell the headquarters of Specsavers, okay, I would like to own a shop, or either make my own shop in my local area if it's appropriate. If there's ten of them already, obviously they can say no. But if there's none, then of course they'll say yes. Uh, or someone's old who's owning the local one to you and you ask them, do you want to retire? <laughs> I'll buy your shop off you. And this is, so it sounds as complicated as it is. It is complicated and you have to essentially take out a mortgage. How and normally would a shop would be, for example? I honestly don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I guess it depends on the size of the practice. If you've got a really booming city centre practice that's got makes it a million pound a year then obviously it's going to cost you a lot to buy that convince that person to leave their job and let you take the profit um whereas if you've got a little local rag- ragged shop that has like one person an hour coming in then obviously you'll be cheap um so yeah it really depends on the practice but i, I, I honestly don't know but i know you have to essentially take out a mortgage so it's not something you could afford by just saving up money so okay let's go back to the to the to the point that you made regarding your um you being an apprentice um could you become um an optometrist a locum optometrist in and around birmingham can practice and they are practicing locum opticians around birmingham or if you're listening to another city manchester london they are definitely local in fact there's a need for locums uh locally up to a point let's say there's a need for I'm giving an arbitrary number now, 20 of them. But there's so many more opticians who wish that there was more vacancies. How do I explain this simply? There's there's too much supply and not enough demand. I'm surprised, I'm surprised you'd say that because I, from my personal experience, and, and, and there's, it's not a jab at you or anybody else, right? Um, optometry as a degree is easy very easy to get here. It's easy to get into, but how many people wake up as a five-year-old, you think, oh, I want to be an optician when I'm older. No, but there's a lot of people who apply to the courses and get in. And there's not like, they have not, not like there's shortage of spaces, if you know what I mean. 
Again, how many people you had in your year is the question I'm asking. If you had to guess. I think graduated, I think about 110 people graduated. Something like that. Okay. I might be making that number. Okay. And let's say let's say there are about 20 to th- let's say about 30 universities doing the course. No. I think this uh, you I make me think of things that I don't know the answer to. Uh, uh, it's less than 30 for sure. Serious, wow. I think it's even less than 20. Um it's probably around 15. Okay. But um, don't quote me on that. So okay, 15 that's 1500 optometrists a year. Yes. In the whole of England. Yeah. Or UK. Uh y- In- UK. England UK. And Scotland. Yeah, England and probably Wales too, Cardiff and yeah, stuff. Wales, yeah. Yeah. So, so UK. UK. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is a shortage from my perspective. That would be a shortage because people are leaving as well. Yeah. Um the I, I, workforce. I, I, don't know the I mean that's I'm I'm in my head I'm just trying to work this out. So mm-hmm. even if you have about 2000 people coming into the job force yeah. every single year, I mean, I would see there is a lack of Like, like they're off. I'm going to be um not politically politi- politically correct and I think a lot of them even in medicine a lot of them are women and women um they end up off quite often end up having children feminist, feminist. yeah they, no that it's quite kind of the opposite actually they they, yeah, they end up uh, having children uh if they want to but most of them do eventually want to and then they end up leaving their careers uh, at least on a full-time basis they they work one or two days a week And so if you if from what I've observed at least anecdotally I've seen that maybe 60% of both medicine and uh, optometry are women uh, students so therefore women optometrists therefore you get a huge bulk of them every year dropping out of the career so there's a need for I say dropping out with the caveat that they work locally so they don't they they're not a locum they don't travel the country the way I do because I go way outside of Birmingham I don't actually work in Birmingham even though I live there I travel every every so often to Why is that by the way on the side Okay so you get more paid more Yeah significantly more more where uh, if you're in a rural area compared to Yeah so there's there's always demand I can go to pretty much the same few shops and know that they need me rather than having to hunt the internet talk to me about the numbers so if somebody was to work as a locum in birmingham how much should they be looking at versus somebody about, so to give you a rough number and be blatantly honest yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's about 225 to 250 a day let's let's say 200 let's give you a one number 240 pound a day in birmingham or london or manchester the same day would be about 300 pounds maybe 310 pounds a day in a rural area meaning the countryside so if you were to work 3 for 300 quid a day at average yeah. normally as anybody else so let's say 22 days a month yeah. you are basically making there you go okay yeah. so that is higher than a salary of a junior doctor obviously it's higher than a consultant so you know now how badly zada wants to be a doctor that he does not care whether he earns 300 400 200 pounds a day he still wants to pursue medicine because he genuinely wanted to actually practice medicine and actually makes make a difference i remember him telling me this that he does not feel he's actually impacting anyone just by looking into people's eyes he did not feel feel like he had that connection with the patient and he wanted a deeper 
sort of understanding um, of patient psychology and patient mindset and wanted to influence people in a positive way. And that's why he went out of his way. Uh, by the way, I, I, I don't know whether you guys, are, obviously you wouldn't know because I haven't told you. Um, he's actually married as well. So he, he has commitments and he gave all that up just so he could pursue My wife his, is very supportive. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd say that. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure if I ask her, she would No, say, she is. She's genuinely supportive. I asked her very clearly uh, before we got married. I said to her, look, I want to be a, I want to be a doctor. And this is when I was actually in my apprenticeship of, of, of optometry. So I always did know that I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, anyway, so I told her, look, you have to realize before you marry me that you I'm going to be extremely busy. And is that okay with you? And she was like, that's fine. Like, not that's fine, but she was like, I, I can... Does, does she accept it now, these I days? I mean, I think I'm quite good have with to her. Go. I'm quite good with her. Like, I offered to take her today. So I'm going to countryside tomorrow night um, so that I can sleep and rest and, and be, wake up to work essentially in the countryside. Uh, by the way, when I say countryside, we're not like we're not literally like on a, in in a farm. It's it's a town in the countryside, so it looks like a it's normal. So I work in a town called uh, Bridgewater, in in Somerset. And if you Google it, go on Google Google Images or whatever or Street View, it's it's got Sports Direct and stuff. You know what I mean? It's a normal place, <laughs> but because there's the elderly population there, they need. I test more than a young population, or you know, more than a, like a twenty-year-old uh, population. Uh, someone's eighty; they're going to have eye problems, and they don't have enough opticians who want to live there. So, therefore, I come down every weekend while I'm a Monday to Friday. I'm a medical student. Saturday, Sunday, I'm an optician, and I drive down Friday night, and I do two days of work, and I earn seven hundred fifty. Now, to the listeners, try and understand what Zada is saying. Zada is saying that for four to five days a week, he's working as a med- he's he's studying basically as a medical student at University of Warwick, and on Saturdays and Sundays he is getting paid three hundred pounds a day, three hundred pounds a day. That's six hundred a week basically um, that he's earning. That's as much as anybody earns at my age, at well, at a normal twenty six, twenty seven year old doing a whole week's worth of work, and they don't actually make as much as he does but there's a there's a slightly i won't say a bad thing but it's a slightly um bad side to it as well that probably i don't know whether you'd, you'd agree with me or not but you barely get any time to yourself because you're so nah occupied. i disagree with completely oh wow okay um uh, i mean i used to live with my parents for the first year of medical school just to save a bit of money and uh, it was a bit overwhelming um just because i had no space to myself and my wife wanted to spend time with me and you know to think bloody hell just let me breathe in it and so when i, I used to go down let me breathe. so i used to i used to go down to somerset and uh, uh rent a room out it's, it's, it's not a, like a rubbish room it's a really nice room and it's quite cheap um so i have this like, a bath shower it's like a flat essentially to myself and i can breathe and just chill browse the internet relax play games whatever i want to do if i don't do some revision revise and i mean what's work nine to five it's not and optometry is not particularly demanding. You can have loads of energy after after work. And so um, I'd get up 8 in the morning, and walk to work, because obviously my room is close to work. I walk to work, do 9 to 5, have a good laugh. I, 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 it's changing now. It's getting a bit more stressful these days. But uh, I think more that's probably more me just getting burnt out. But um, I generally love work. Like I have bants at work, I bounce off my colleagues and have good fun. And it's like, it's like, it's, it's like spending time with friends, essentially. And then I come home, have, having earned a good amount of money. I think, okay, I got till midnight, because that's when I normally sleep. And so I've got, what, five till midnight, seven hours? Is that seven hours? 
can't do maths. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, seven hours. Seven hours hours to to do whatever the heck I want. So I'd say that's freedom. Do you know what I mean? So my finances are sorted. My wife, I look after her. And she can come down if she wants to, you know, uh, on Saturday, Sunday. Um, I don't see... I think key piece of information you need to take from this, that I definitely take from this, is the fact that Zada manages his time really well. So he knows when he's working and when he's working obviously he's also having fun he's enjoying himself he's got colleagues that he, at work that he's um, bantering with as he tells me um, but at the same time when he comes home he's got seven hours to himself if his wife's around then of course those seven hours are cut short by mm-hmm. a, a large amount you know, I do enjoy like life <laughs> 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 marriage isn't bad it's a good thing oh okay yeah. good to know good to know <laughs> you're not going to convince me mate um, so the the whole the whole idea from the whole take home message from all this is that medicine isn't the only route uh, to success. And a lot of people get into it for the wrong reasons, thinking that it will um, make them a lot of money, which is true. I'm not saying it's not true. You do earn a lot as a doctor, but that happens. Yeah, event, exactly. That's it, because it's, it's an eventual thing. Um, as a junior doctor, Zada, how much will you be earning after you've graduated? Because you'll be. Yeah. I'll be earning less than an optician okay, uh, at a junior level. I'll be uh, earning about thirty thousand for the first year. Isn't it twenty seven? It's twenty nine, but like okay. round it up to thirty. Okay. Thirty thousand first year, like thirty two thousand for the second year, and then it goes up quite a lot. So I'll tell you just rough numbers. So you do five, four, five, six years of medical school. Obviously, you're earning nothing. You're just accumulating debt, and then um, first year you earn about thirty thousand. Second year you earn about thirty two thousand. Following year you earn about thirty five thousand. Year after that is about thirty nine thousand, so it goes up quite a lot actually. Then it goes up to about forty five, and then about fifty, then about fifty five, and it starts tapering off around there, and tapers off around from fifty five to sixty five thousand. It tapers off, it kind of hangs around there until you become a consultant, or if you become a locum doctor at any point, it massively increases. But locum doctor is much harder than a locum optician because you can be asked. Well, you you can say no anyway. But they, there's demand for locums. Just someone with a medical license, there's demand for you basically everywhere in the hospital, even if you've got little experience in there. So, for example, you could locum in neurosurgery. What on earth you're doing in neurosurgery, I don't know. Yeah, because you wouldn't, if you've got almost no experience in neurosurgery, say if you've done six months in neurosurgery, what what, what on earth are you going to do that's beneficial to the, to, to the person's brain? I don't know. But you could locum there and you'd probably just be fumbling around and irritating everyone there and, uh, because you'd be not much use. And they'd be like, why are they paying you? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it kicked out and have a bad reputation. I'm sure some, I don't know, like I'm not a doctor yet, so I don't know how it works. But uh, you could also locum in your area of interest. So if you want to eventually, for like, I want to be an anesthetist, if you wanted to... Um, locum in anesthesia and you've already worked there as an, not as a locum just as a as a student or trainee doctor for say three four five years and then you go back in as a locum and you don't want to progress your career you don't want to become a consultant for a few years because by being a locum you can't be a consultant you put, put that on pause but your salary goes up to consultants salary or possibly even more than a consultant salary um so you earn about 80 pound an hour as a mid-level trainee, uh, and then as a mid-level trainee, yeah, so, what age uh, so that that is as a self-employed, so a locum mid-level trainee. But if you want to go back into the the career ladder and go back into becoming consul- becoming a consultant again, rather than fitting filling in shifts that people need, 
So you just go back to your normal job, then you go back to fifty-five thousand a year. Talk to me about age. I want to. I want to also see the scaling of the age. I mean, what what what's the starting point? So your starting point, you like you've said, is thirty grand, yeah. um, and saying for four after four years you're on forty-five. Yeah. Correct. At that point, Around can you work as a locum? Yeah, you can work as a locum after FY one or FY two. But can you work as a locum GP as well, by the way? Yeah, locum uh, medicine. Honestly, if you want to know the finances of medicine, I can do an hour podcast just on that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that means we'll, we're going to bring him in next time as well to talk about finances of medicine. But um, uh, it depends on what who who's listening to the podcast. If someone's interested in optometry, then I guess they don't care about the finances. This of medicine. podcast is for anyone who is from thirteen to twenty-one years of age who who have no idea. I'm not saying no idea. Have some who need some sort of guidance in a way, practical, actual. Substance. If you want practical guidance, if you want, if you want me to talk to a thirty-eight-year-old, my only sentence would be: beat AI. Whatever AI can't do for in the foreseeable future, do that job, because every other job is going to be taken. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, what is that job? The only thing that that's left is business, presumably. So no, business is like this. Listen to a book. Probably doing podcast, I guess. I, I, An AI could do podcast. I, I listened to a book today about um, bullshit jobs. What's it called? It's called. Uh, jobs? No, no, it's it's called uh, the pursuit of utopia, something like that. Okay. But um, the point is that uh, there's a lot of jobs in the modern world which are useless, and they're often high paying as well. So just because a job pays well in 2020, that job might not exist in 2030. For example, banking, like or counting. Things of that nature. Not I'm not saying it won't exist, but the thing is, so if you, for example, I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> but if, if you can imagine it being automated, then it probably will be automated in a decade or so. Yeah, um, things that people. So what? What would? What will become automated? Simple is what people trust machines to do. So does it make a difference if a accountant is? For a small business, not for a massive business necessarily, but for a small business, accountants, a machine, will it kill the person? Uh, potentially, maybe they'll feel like, oh, my finances weren't correctly done. Maybe, okay, so until people trust machines to do accounting accurately and in a way that benefits them, then they won't hire them. But eventually when a machine comes out that says, okay, I'm 100% accurate at working out your taxes and I'll make it as efficient as possible why would you and, and, and also I'll charge a tenth of the price of a real human accountant why would they bother hiring a human the human becomes redundant and technology without a doubt can do that already yeah, it's just maybe someone hasn't bothered making it into a, a feasible software I mean there are these cal- calculators you can put in your own details in and, and it works same with goal, goals with business business analysts and things like that things that are no, I'm talking about entrepreneurship. I'm talking about, for example, uh, passing on your ideas uh, about habits, about improving yourself as a person, like creating a business out of that, um, or uh, giving advice, for example, or coaching, for example, like those type of businesses. Fine. Yeah, it's fine. Like, okay. I'm talking about specific types of businesses. I'm not talking about a clothes shop or something like that. I understand. I understand. I mean, you know, you you know entrepreneurship better than I do, so I don't know like whether machine could do entrepreneurship or not. Okay. However, the reason, one of the reasons I, I uh, that one of the the motivating factors for me to switch from optometry to medicine later in life. So when I actually did it in my twenties, rather than when I was thinking about it, hypothesizing as a as a as a teenager, one of the actual things that made me do it was the fact that I thought AI will eventually take over optometry and it is 
so the so the so they are they are machines that are doing eye tests or even even bef- even currently the machines that are doing that help us so they sup they in a, in, a, in what's it inadverted commas or inverted commas so <laughs> in, uh, in, in in inverted commas support us but they don't really support us they bloody do the job yeah of getting uh, eyeglasses prescriptions and they get it i would say with about 95% accuracy why does that make you does that make you feel threatened uh yeah um yeah i i don't i don't i didn't care because i was leaving anyway okay. uh but i thought i looked around at my colleagues and thought these guys are basically screwed. not that they're screwed their jobs are going to be completely different like the the focus on getting glasses accurate um is going to be reduced and it's going to be they're going to be more like mini eye doctors so they're going to be looking for pathologies and focusing on management of patho- acting like doctors basically rather than acting as glasses makers because the glasses the glasses making aspect of it is already covered by machines isn't that a good thing though that's what you were saying they were here to support you ideally they are saying that you should be doing more important things rather than focusing yeah. yourself on making bloody glasses but it depends on the boss of the company so if the boss in the company says great have the same amount of appointment time so have a 25 minute eye test appointment and he knows that the machines does half the job in 30 seconds and he wants you to spend the other 25 minutes discussing quality of life questions with the patient like oh how was your journey here and tell me about your home are you going to trip over things and things like that things that improve the quality of the care then that would be great in reality uh, humans don't think that way <laughs> humans are really short sighted uh, right. uh, ignore the pun and so all they think about is money 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 so they don't really care if this grandma's going to trip over this her problem yeah i care but someone who's not even a clinician someone who owns a shop mm. high up who owns maybe 10 shops or all the shops they might not care they might just think why is this shop making less money now that they've got this really efficient machine mm. and the answer is because we're chatting having a normal conversation having a great time with our patients they will cut that out that's a waste of time they're not there to have a chat they're there to make money and so i pay them what well, 50,000 a year make me at least 100,000 a year profit because i want you if i'm making you if you're paying you 50,000 and you're making me 50,000 the shop might as, well, might as well not exist and so uh, they say okay fine instead of having 25 minute appointments let's knock it down to 15 minute appointments uh, and so the machine does that bit so we've accounted for the machine's efficiency now you do the rest of the eye test in less time because you shouldn't need as much time mm. and so essentially your workload becomes Increased. either just as stressful or more stressful But do you think you were you were saying to me already before that your work load currently is not that much anyway. So if it was to increase by a bit more, why is that why is that an issue to you? Because at the end of the day, like you've said, you want to help people, right? So if you want to help people, you should be thinking about I want to help as many people as possible. So I'd say that over the last I took a student on recently in in at work and my enjoyment of work Yeah, I took an apprentice on and my enjoyment of work plummeted. Oh wow. Yeah. Because I was suddenly working at 110% efficiency. I was I wasn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't do a perfect eye test. That's not 110% efficiency by the way, but carry on. At 100% efficiency. <laughs> I was, I couldn't do a perfect eye test. I could do a perfect eye test and support her and my student. I'd say I could do that, but I couldn't do anything more. Like if someone asked me a question, I'd snap at them. Like can you not see that I'm busy? Do you oh, see what I'm trying to say? Okay. 
and I wasn't like that. But don't you think that's a test of your character and your personality as you need to really self-analyze yourself and see where what kind of temperament you have when you are pressured versus when you're not pressured. If anything it can make a better optometrist out of you, don't you agree? Uh I don't see the point of being stressed out to find out what I'm not saying I'm not saying to be stressed out but even as a doctor though you will be stressed out you there will be situations where you'll have to get the catheter really, really quickly well, or a defibrillator and you'll know what you'll be doing in a short amount of time yeah. if anything it makes a better person out of you though no, no, would you not agree nonsense. okay so it's nonsense basically there's studies that show the more stressed you are or the more tired you are or the more uh, depression you have at home or whatever the worse clinical decisions you make Okay. And so you want your healthcare practitioners to be as fresh and free-minded as possible. Mm-hmm. And I can see that I look back sometimes on my decisions like if I were to refer someone for an eye problem and think why would I refer that person? Like the, the day later when I'm feeling more relaxed I think mm-hmm. I was being over precautious I referred that person for no reason I must not have been thinking straight. Mm-hmm. You know. And so it's actually a really big problem in healthcare that we stress our healthcare practitioners out and they make shitty decisions basically. So what you're saying is uh, as a sorry to interrupt is is that we need to dial back even so you do realize as a as a medic mm. once you become a doctor life is not going to be as lavish as being an optometrist financially. not definitely not not even not just even financially I'm talking about work life balance wise uh, not necessarily I, I I mean I've 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 had a few placements I'm only in second year so I've had a few placements in health, in hospital and it seems about as busy as an optician's but sometimes Then why is it that I always hear doctor crying that we're not getting paid enough we are our our lives are becoming absolute horrendous and we don't know what we're doing it's it's too much mainly, Jeremy mainly. Hunt kill him kill him mainly because of sleeping patterns So it's their fault that they are not sleeping no. on the right time is that what you say Okay it's the circadian rhythm is that Okay so imagine an optician who's stressed out okay and what happens they go to work they wake up at they go to sleep at midnight they wake up at 8 they go to work at 9 and they get stressed from 9 to 5 they come home and go sleep and chill do whatever they want okay and rinse and repeat for 5 days a week okay. a doctor has the same amount of stresses roughly mm-hmm. okay but one the decisions make a huge a much much more significant difference to the person's life they can literally kill that person okay by making the wrong decision or cause inflicting damage that lasts for years or you know so it's more serious not only that but also they go they wake up one day and do the same shift so the 8:00 they go to they wake up at 8 go to work at 9 do 9:05 and then the next day they wake up at 2 in the morning and then they go they go to work at 3 in the morning and then they they go to sleep at midday and then they the day after that they have a day off and the day after that they start at 8 p.m. and then they, do you see what i mean the okay. the shifts are all over the place so what you're referring to is the idea that um, nhs or the employees of nhs require better schedule scheduling mm-hmm. yeah, essentially yeah, there's, there's rather than the, but then i don't understand no, but funny enough this is again my layman's yeah. ideas or my la- whatever i've read on on the internet they're just saying they're not getting paid enough they're not getting paid enough nothing to ske- nobody mentions scheduling until you've mentioned it to me right now which kind of Um, brings I, some I, I haven't heard people say that as a medical student that they don't get paid enough I mean you we, we don't get paid enough for the first like 5 years I'd say okay and then so 30 grand is not enough to pay a doctor like n- not in your dreams yeah should a doctor be getting 30,000 pounds I I I don't know what you think about that 
to be honest with you again i have not become a doctor myself but like you 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 would i'm just going to repeat what you've said earlier you've said it the life of a doctor is not as bad as what you thought or what cuz you've done couple of placements and you think it's pretty all right if you think it's pretty all right I'm pretty all right 30 grand for pretty all right is i'll buy that any day cuz that's what you signed up for I always look at this great question great question I always look at how much management is under you how much responsibility you have as a person I think as a consultant there are so many doctors working under you you have a lot more to answer for versus a, a, a couple of patients that you're seeing in a, in 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 a in a, in a 9 to 5 shift as a junior doctor if you if you're, if you're, and plus and plus let me finish right um plus you are also um always speaking to you can speak to your seniors your shos and your shos which is senior house officer by the way is kind of like your train trainer um and and they can guide you as to what kind of decisions clinical decisions you're making and that can essentially make you a better doctor at the end of the day so you're telling me as soon as you've come out of university you should be at 50k i mean i was you would agree with me and i know that you will never ever say that this is not true cuz do you think you were overpaid as a 22 year old optometrist overpaid um yes thank, thank you. you as, as but because i travel around the country and i, I yeah, forced yeah. i forced that pay i'm with you i'm with yeah. you yeah but if i was if i was a resident uh, in birmingham and 30000 pounds 35000 pounds is that underpaid i'd say yeah that's actually underpaid a little bit as well i wouldn't call that underpaid at all i think this is what you signed up for you as a this is what i'm saying education is is very very important from the very get go somebody who's 18 years old is expecting as soon as they're going to come out of university they're going to be on 60 80 50 90 k that's not going to happen you will have to start somewhere even as an apprentice i know that you weren't happy uh, no i was perfectly happy on a minimum wage because i had no desire to buy a house but the thing, or had no yeah but the, but the whole point is that at certain level you had certain expe- expectations now somebody who who signed up for 35k if they are if they are getting 35k they can they shouldn't turn around and say no 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 i was expecting 40 50k and now you've got me at 35k mm. this is why i'm saying knowledge is extremely important people jump into things like i did mm. i would openly admit mm. that i jumped into biochemistry thinking this is the path to medicine for me next time so i'm going to go for it what did i get in the end i wasn't sure when i finished my university when i finished my masters that is this is a 22 23 year old man coming out of university thinking what do i need to do i actually don't know um and i ended up working for a pharmaceutical company yeah lucky for me that worked but i'm saying or maybe it didn't work i don't know because obviously right now i'm here uh opening my own business and speaking to you about uh careers of course but uh, what i'm saying is that it's very important for you to plan these things prior to 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 jumping into it uh, and money yeah from a survivability survivability aspect aspect i can completely understand money is important but what i'm what i'm getting at by speaking to you today is that nhs is really really badly structured uh, because in some structures you're underpaid by a mile in some structures you're overpaid by a mile not really where where you over- the only people who are overpaid dude come on 22 years of age looking at people's eyes as a locum yeah but that's all, again is in structure of nhs right if i'm this got nothing to do with nhs so I spec mean, savers there is some relation to nhs because you're referring people to the hospitals as well yes, so it's anything but it's predominantly private so that's why you get paid more if if is it like is it like being a dentist yeah it's exactly like being a dentist a, a dent you can become an nhs dentist yeah 
but you don't want to work exclusively with NHS patients. You get paid less, don't you? Yeah, but you're absolutely 100% right. What I'm saying is that the NHS does have an influence and as to how these things are structured. An influence, but ultimately you get paid according to what your boss inspects Specsavers wants you to get paid. So you can negotiate your salary. Whereas in the NHS, there's not much leeway for nego- negotiation unless you're like a top doctor. So why is it... Okay, all right. So honestly, people... Like, consultants get underpaid. Now, if you don't... Like, the way I push myself to be a locum optician, if you don't do something similar in medicine, so you don't become a locum optician, a uh, locum doctor, or you don't take on additional roles, or you don't go to a random island where there's extreme need for you, mm. you just want to work around Birmingham, you're going to be on 70,000 as a consultant to start with. Then you go 72, 75, 80, 85, 90. After 20 years of experience, they expect you to be on about 110,000. So let me ask you this. I remember having this conversation with you back in the day and you told me if you take 100K, for example, and you divide that to a, a monthly salary, that's about seven grand a month after taxes. Yeah, seven grand a month after taxes. But you're, even if it's a bit less, right? Try and explain this to me. Why do you think that is really low for a consultant? It's not low for a consultant because you're not going to be on that. You're gonna be on seventy thousand. Even as a seventy thousand, let's let's take that as a jump. That's five grand a month. Uh, it's just okay. Five to six grand. Five grand. I should be a five it's grand just, a month. If the, so, what I'm saying to you is that person is pretty much at the peak, the cream of society. Mm-hmm. So you think the cream of society shouldn't get paid more than seventy thousand? I'd say that it's the route that he has taken that has helped that has allowed him to get to that level and he knew before come on you, you're you telling me even if you start as a, a career as a doctor at 26, 27 years of age right are you telling me that he, that guy does not know that he's going to end up becoming a consultant yeah, yeah. at 70k Your is completely skewed. okay go so on. it should be what does society value a consultant at not what is currently going but on the thing is but, yeah, but this is the point what I'm trying to say 70k is the correlation of what society deems it to be I as valuable. Why do you think that? I mean, I think people, uh, um, the average person would say a consultant should be on 200,000, 100,000. Who, who is this average person? I want I want to meet this average person. Is it is this average person you, Zada? No, I, I am like putting my mind in other people. Of course. Mind. But I, I think like, do you ask really? But maybe we should do a survey. What do you think? As a director, I think I think I, I would probably ask you. So what I'll do is I'll put a poll on my website. Um, go on www.vitaleducators.com slash blog. I'll put um, a poll up and see how much a consultant should get paid. And I want you guys to go and check it out and actually vote on it. So I'll, uh, me and Zara can sit down next time and have a chat about this. Oh, um, I think a good way to see this, yeah. A good way to view this is if a consultant works, let's say in A&E, so an any consultant, he works saving, literally saving people's lives, leading the team for 10 years, yeah? For 10 years, a decade doing that. Five days a week, four days a week, whatever, many, 40 hours a week. What kind of house do you think after a decade they should have paid off? They should have enough cash in their hands to buy what kind of house? I would say like a half a mansion. That's what I think. That val- That's the value I'd place on that kind of um, outcome, that kind of... Um, result for your decade of work okay. I mean saving let's say five people's lives a day 40 five days a week 25 people a, 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 a week 125 a month round it up to about a thousand people a year you're saving a thousand people a year's life 10,000 people a year in that 
what do you think 10,000 people's saved lives are worth? I think it's more than a mansion. But let's, let's be conservative, it's half a mansion. In reality, if you're on 70 grand, you're not going to be earning. You're not going to be paying off half a mansion. The point is that um, you and I had this conversation. NHS, uh, from a from a payment structure, um, is one of the best paid for doctors. Uh, 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 so if somebody, so other than the US, yeah, US get you got if, if you want to work in US, wow, well, you're, you're unbelievably, yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you this, yeah. Let me ask you this. Let me try and put this a bit of bit of spin on this, right? Somebody who works, who actually saves ten thousand or a thousand lives, whatever you want to call it, in real like Syria or or Afghanistan, who are actually working like doctors beyond borders, for example, right? So if you if you if you if you if you if you take those into account, should they be getting paid more too? But we don't live. Like, so what I'm saying is that don't you see that you are well paid already compared to all the other doctors anyway, and uh, then you're here. No, 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 no. As a as a medic, as a as a consultant, okay. and then you here, you're you're basically advocating for a consultant, mm-hmm. saying a consultant should be paid even more than the, what they're being paid in the one of the best institutions in the whole world. Okay, let me let me summarize in one, one sentence what I think the problem with NHS pays. The biggest pay is that the biggest problem is it takes too long to become not too long. Because it takes long to become a consultant, mm-hmm. they should pay the junior doctors more. Okay. That's my biggest concern. People at 40 can survive on, seven, not even 70, let's say 100,000 for the rest of their life. Yeah, no problem. Obviously, you can. But the fact that you want 40,000, 50,000, or 30,000 to begin with for such a long time, a whole decade. You're not, though, because you've just told me that it's 30,000 to 32,000 yeah, to 35,000 to 40,000. Yeah, so in four years, which is less than half yeah, a decade. But what if you're the sole, the sole breadwinner of your family and you're pretty much at work constantly? Who's going to look after you? Is now? that what it is? Because you told me that... The, you, uh, you, how can you say it's pretty much at work constantly? Because you've just told me that, uh, uh, um, yes, the scheduling is bad, but the hours are just same 40 hours a week. So how is this constant work? Uh, Well, those because of the scheduling, the the time you have off, you're exhausted. Okay. Yeah. I think I think it's it's a uh, it's, it's a good point. point to consider. What I will do now is, uh, of course, after this podcast finishes, I'll do a I'll dig some numbers up and see yeah. what you're saying actually makes if sense. Want, if or if there's a consensus on a graph, graph. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. If you want a graph of like how much doctors get paid as uh, while they're training, the BMA. If you just Google it, there's like loads of charts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. British uh, Medical Association. But they all assume it. that you're going through the normal career route and you're not being self-employed. You're not locoming. You're not doing anything fancy. You're just being a traditional doctor uh you asked me about an hour ago (laughs) about gps so gp is really interesting because they they're actually underpaid as a normal normal doctor so if you were as a locum you mean as a normal doctor doctor. so a normal doctor can be a gp by the way a gp stands for general practitioner for those of you don't know a general practitioner is somebody who basically sits in a gp practice i'm sure some of you have already been there and a gp uh, basically looks at you if you've got something wrong with you uh, probably gives you a medicine or if you can't figure it out it'll probably refer you to the hospital Um, and uh, they in order for you to become a gp you graduate from medicine and after that you work um, for three years, is it? And you do a GP ship for three years. So no, so explain. No. Yeah, so, could you please explain for the viewers? So a GP is your corner shop doctor, basically, who works around the corner, and he is your or she is your doctor. Uh, but how do you get there? Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
So the way you get there is you do your medical course, so your medical degree, which is four or five, no, it's not four, five or six years, depending on where you, when you apply. And then you do two years of what, what we call foundation year, FY1, FY2, which is the same, the equivalent of the apprenticeship that I was talking about in optometry. But what you do during those two years, you bounce around the hospital from different departments, just getting a flavor of each department and acting kind of like a really, really high up nurse. Uh, rather than making big decisions, you don't make big decisions. You just support the doctors who are above you. Um, so you do two years of that. And the once you, you said, OK, great, I want to be a GP now. And then you work uh, you work under the GP, so you leave hospital for the most part, uh, uh, and then you do essentially three years uh, as a further apprenticeship um, in a GP practice, and then you're fully qualified as a GP. And After all of that, well, if you were 18 when you if you were 18 when you got into medical school, you're 23 when you leave medical school, and then you're plus five years, so you're 28. Yeah, assuming you fail no years, which is, I mean, you, it's hard, so you probably will fail a year or so. So let's call it 29, okay? And then uh, if you want to work full-time, which is exhausting because you see, have 10-minute appointments. As an optician, I have 25 minutes. These guys have 10 minutes to see God knows what's going to come in the door. Um, and so they have to be really rude. They have to say, okay, just give me two problems only. And the rest, you can come back later for another appointment for that. You have to cut these people off and they do genuinely get offended. So you say, okay, what's your main problem, basically? And you have 10 minutes to decide how to refer that person and how to, maybe you can deal with them here and now, what medicines you give them. And then you think, oh man, this person's talking a lot and to kick them out of the room because I've got another patient waiting and I've got nine minutes of, of this appointment left, but he keeps asking questions. So then you cut him off and then you see your next patient and you do that, bang, 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 just keep seeing them. No, pretty much wow. all day. So it's, 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 the job itself sounds easy, but the time constraints make it really stressful. And to do that f f as a full-time job is exhausting. Basically becoming a robot, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, a really efficient, non-tire, a robot that doesn't tire out. But anyway, um, that's why people burn out. That's why people leave GPs. Uh, being a GP and forget medicine. Uh, it, you say that, funny enough, one of our good friends is actually becoming a GP right now. Yeah. I'll probably have him on the podcast at some point too. Uh, he has his own perspectives, yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, him and his wife now yeah, is yeah, becoming yeah, yeah, a GP yeah. as well. So anyway, the point is, um, you do that, and so you get paid, they say £8,000 per session. A session is four hours of work. £8,000 per year per session. So, let's Half a day, basically, £8,000 for half a day. So let's say you work four days a week, because it's basically no GPs can physically bear working five days a week. It's just your mind shatters. So let's say you work four, four days, even that's pretty pretty a lot. So that's eight sessions, because it's half days. So eight eight times eight is 64 grand. So you'd be on 64 grand as a corner shop doctor. <laughs> You Stop know. calling them corner yeah, shop doctors. <laughs> Sounds like they're barbers or something. That's how far you'd need to travel. You just go to one or two streets yeah. away and you can work. You don't have to travel far to be a GP. That's what I mean by that. I don't mean that they, they, they work as corner it's shop a, people. It's a convenient uh, work schedule. Exactly. However, so 64 grand, I think that's underpaid. To push yourself to the limit of your mind, like... I know you're only, work, only working four days a week, but to, to, to say that I cannot physically bear to work anymore, yeah, and you're getting 64 grand. So I let, me, let, me, let me paint you a picture. Let me paint you a picture. So right now I have, um, 
I have a, uh, we have a friend. Well, he's much more of my my friend than your friend, um, who is becoming a, an accountant. I won't mention who, but if he's listening to this, you know who you are. Um, he's been working at an accountancy firm doing um, chartered accountancy, CA, um, for last three years. I think he's in third year now, probably graduated as an accountant. But what I'm saying is that he was paid on 26 grand, and that guy's burnt out to the to the max I shouldn't want I don't want to say anything bad and what I'm saying is that he's working like crazy so all the all the crap work in an organization is always dumped on him mm. so if you were to really the problem is you don't Isn't he a fool for staying that job? you would say that the, I wouldn't call him a fool because at the end of the day he's getting a qualification out of that as well so he's getting a qualification oh, and a job I would call it yes yes okay. but even after he becomes an, a qualified whatever he's going to start at 35 36 okay, yeah so i'm saying he's still going to be burnt out yeah. he's still going to you just so I'm, I'm what i'm saying is that let's take our us out let's take a, a consultant who does a certain amount of work save certain amount of life mm. lives versus somebody who is always a director of a company Okay. Yeah, and what I'm saying is that try and understand that in a company, that's a separate organization. NHS as a company is also a separate organization. One has one director, another one has another director mm-hmm. working. I'm saying that they are paid equivalent to one another because a director at a company would be paid 100k to 120k to 150k, right? And uh, and 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 in NHS, a consultant would be paid exactly the same. I personally think they're paid exactly what they should be paid in a structure that there is right now. What I would agree with you, what I would definitely, definitely agree with you is the fact that your junior doctors will not get paid a lot. I think they should be paid more. Yeah, I think that, um, I think agree with that. But, but at the same time, I this is this my philosophy with regards to pay is higher risk, higher reward, which basically means that more risk you take in life, yeah, that's, that's more, more money you will make, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think taking, and this could be controversial, so somebody who's listening and uh, who's actually a medic uh, could actually hate me for this, but I would say, medicine is the safest route that you can take essentially so if if that's the safest route that you can take in life to success then you no, that's that why would you say that's nonsense because you, at any point you can get kicked out of your career but that's with any career what's your point of saying that i mean what, what, i'm saying that it's the safest route to success because it, this is the one where you kind of lock in you, what your future is right you haven't taken any jumps you're not kind of changing anything Right, you're not taking. You don't need to take any risks. Does that as make sense? To what? I mean, as opposed to, as opposed to. Uh, so, you, you, are you asking about as a career? Yeah. As a, oh, okay. As a, as opposed to being in the army, for example, or mm. uh, or somebody who, um, somebody who's a sportsman, who's a cyclist. They, he's taking a lot of risk on his body mm. to get through. Whereas uh, I know, I know. Come on, man. Uh, uh, you can study your. Uh, uh, if you're intelligent, you're. If you have normal intelligence, you can become a doctor if you're hardworking enough. No. Yes. You just said in the beginning, like neither of us got in the first time round. Who was to say I would have got in the second time round? Maybe I would have never. But the, I, I openly agree that the reason I didn't get get in is because I didn't work hard enough. Had I worked hard enough, well, hard you enough did as a in, whole extra degree. Yeah, but and you did a master. But you do realize, I think uh, uh, those of you who haven't done a degree and the people who are listening right now, you kind of do your degree as you do it. You know this. You mm. had a dissertation to hand in, and you were in Alps in France with your brother. On this is his third year, by the way, third year of his optometry degree, and he tell and he got a first, by the way. He didn't get a second, two, one. He got a first. So you're telling me that? Come on, man, that's easy to do. Optometry was easy. 
Well, finally. But he has come around. I would say my degree was hard, harder than optom. I don't know whether it was harder, but the way you s- describe it, yeah. I, I, maybe because I did a masters, I don't know. But what, no, what, what, your bachelor's uh, of biochem is ext- is one of the hardest hard, degrees, hardest you, degrees you could do. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But what, so, no, but what, my point what, is, you're saying that you take, took no risks. I'm saying, you, look, you you you, you were a potential doctor and you took the risks and it didn't work out for you. I'm not saying you didn't has life hasn't worked out for you, I'm, but your medical career hasn't worked out. No, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying once that's the only risk you'll ever take. Yes, and then, and then you, because at the end of the day, after that, you're a doctor. Your path, whichever one you take, that is, whichever one you take, locum, uh, consultant, GP, whichever one. Even if you fail in those paths, you can change in within that field, and you can still become successful. You can get kicked off the Dude, GPs. that's yeah, that's the only yeah. But that's with anything, though, isn't it? I'm saying there's more what, what more is? risks in any other job, there, any other field no, versus. Well, okay, because you can get you can get sued. Okay, who sues an optician? Basically, no one. Okay. Yeah, who sues doctors? Almost everyone tries to get a bit of money out of the NHS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a true thing. Yeah. Um, also, um, you you could have be bounced around the country to try and find your position that you want. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be, let's say, I don't know, uh, a foot doctor, a foot surgeon, podiatrist. Yeah, uh, no, no, not podiatrist. Like a, a, a orthopedic foot oh, surgeon. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, so a bone doctor. So you cut people's feet open and you fix their bones. Of and that's your. Childhood dream, yeah, and you live in Birmingham. It might so happen that you have to move to Edinburgh for five, six, seven years. That's not that's a gamble, isn't it? That's a loss on your half. You don't want to live in Edinburgh, but that's, that's the only vacancy. But the question is, what uh, what risks are you taking, though? You 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 do you're making a sacrifice, yes, no. but what risks are you taking? If you don't do that, but you might keep failing your exams. Yeah, but I'm, you, 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 the point I'm trying to make here isn't the fact that whether you can keep failing your exams or not. It's, it's the fact that I'm talking about financial risks here. Financial risks. Financial. The, the one that can impact your whole life, your family, your, okay. you know. If you, if you keep failing your exams or uh, you develop a tremor, like you become Parkinson, you, have, you get Parkinson's, then all that debt you've accumulated, all that time, I wouldn't say it's wasted, but some people might think that it's wasted. You know, anything can happen in life. Okay. The, everything, yeah, the, not, and the, the longer the, the the delay in the financial reward is, meaning consultancy, the longer the delay is, the 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 more of chance it is that something. I'm saying, I think, I think we, I think you are, you're, you're, you're spinning it in another way. Okay, okay? I'm getting, I'm getting to the point where risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. I'm saying um, any market, look at any market in the world. Okay, yeah. this is just natural. This well, is I natural phenomena. Okay, a- anyone high risk you'll take, right? And you you don't know whether that's going to work or not. Mm. Market will pay you a p- proportional to that, right? Okay. I'm saying yes, a doctor is saving loads of lives, but let, let's and and I'm saying and at the same time, I've also said to you that a doctor has taken a substantial amount of risk. I'm not saying they haven't, but I'm saying it's the least amount of. I think being a doctor, you can this is the least amount of risk that you can take versus the highest reward you can get in terms of pay. Do you understand me? I understand. I understand. Meaning, um, like if the market crashes, it doesn't really make a difference. Yes, You're still that's exactly, have a job. exactly. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so, so it's a secure way of living. Yeah. Okay, well, you're protected by pretty much any, everything and any, anything. You're paid handsomely. And then uh, where you come from, and you've said it from a perspective of, well, we're still not paid well enough. Fine. But I'm saying, maybe look at look Jews, look 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 at somebody who's done a PhD. They spent three years, right, at fifteen grand, tax free. That is, by the way, mm-hmm. for those of you who want to do PhD, maybe. Yeah. Um, three years they've spent at university, literally in a lab, crammed in, uh, mm. 
it's a horrible life as a pe- I don't know my personal opinion yeah. right and then they have gone off to work maybe in the industry or as a professor or as a teacher yes there is no risk there and they're not even getting paid that much anyway you're paying 40 grand yeah. 45 grand 50 grand maybe okay no. and then they have to st- stay in that job for 20 to 30 years to become a professor mm. and a professor would get paid around 80 grand or 70 grand mm. after 20 30 years mm. so you t- you're getting paid 110 100k after 10 years right or 70 grand after 10 years no, right why years. yes after 10 after, years after 10 years starting from when starting from graduating as a medic starting graduating yeah. Right, yeah yeah so from by the time you're 34 35 you're on 70 80k assuming you got in at 80 yeah oh, come on let's just yeah. start let's just stay conventional here okay, okay but right. you 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 kind of you're going to get the yeah, point of what I'm, I'm 35 yeah so right now look look at me for example i've taken the massive risks yeah. i don't know whether this venture is going to work or not mm. right I, i'm just trying to think from a perspective of look if i'm going to help someone mm. i might as well do it now mm. um and so what if i don't make any money right now but if i if this venture does not work out i can always go back into working in a pharmaceutical company still earning whatever i need to earn and carry on with my life but the whole point is that it's about risk versus reward so i've taken a huge risk and i've got no reward for it whatsoever at this moment in time i don't know what the future entails what with your academic company or with your houses so both both i'd say both i would say it's a whole lifestyle now i mean i don't really live i don't have a saturday or sunday in my head i have seven days are my seven days a week in a way i don't really wake up thinking i'm going to have a day off today i don't have that sort of mentality i have i need to get this stuff done and i have a diary for it by the way for those of you who don't know and i just put everything in and i just need to get rid of it i don't care how long it takes i don't care what kind of mentality i have with it but i just get it, get things done um i think that's the attitude people need to have as well uh, um i think being a doctor again not that it's a bad thing and i understand where parents are coming from when they want their children to become doctors because there's certain amount of prestige there um i personally think that there needs to be a bit of reality check uh, you guys need to know you guys need to understand that what kind of personality you have i mean i'm sure by listening to our talk for we're at 1 hour and 16 minutes now you guys can get gather a sort of understanding that it was deep within him to become a doctor and so much so that he did not care uh, at 80k he did not care that he, you know he's comfortable he has a wife he has a house he's chilling and he decided no i'm going to pursue it regardless because that's what he wanted to be because he didn't want to wake up the next day and look in the mirror and recognize himself that he's not somebody he set himself out to be when he was 13 14 years old so i think this is the sort of question that you guys need to be asking yourself every single time that that is this who i am is this the personality i have what are my values i would always say write down your values and then match those values to a career that you think would fit you best um i don't i still don't know what is the best career for me i just feel like i just like zada i wanted to help out people as well i don't know in what capacity so i've created a capacity which is this all right um and i i, I think this is a good time to wrap up this uh, this podcast and uh, i really thank zada for coming along i really appreciate his input and to be honest with you i learned i genuinely i learned a lot and this has been a fantastic opportunity to get to know you more in fact and i would say that definitely from moving forward i know people will have questions whoever listens to this um i will be bring you on and i know that i have more things to talk to you about not just from a career perspective from a philosophical perspective from a financial perspective from because i know you're quite business minded as well i personally think you're quite entrepreneur 
You, no, I don't think so. I think you're really. I think you are Graham Stephen, Brown version of Graham Stephen. I don't. I don't know who that is. If you guys don't know who that is, I'd say go and uh, YouTube that guy. He that guy's a legend. Um, so thank you so much for listening, and uh, this is uh, goodbye from me. Um, if you want to check out, if you guys are looking for a personal coach or a tutor uh, in your. Um, in your area um anywhere uh, i would suggest go on to a website that i've created it's called vitaleducators.com all you need to do is put in your postcode and the subject that you're looking for and all the tutors will uh come up and you can pick whichever one you like and uh yeah you can start your learning process this was vital educators podcast by ahmed saki hope you enjoyed please follow or subscribe for more content every week